discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Singyu in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, shared power banks were once hailed as the answer to drained batteries on the fly and my battery anxiety. But today, users find themselves frowning at skyrocketing prices. The power bank industry is charging ahead, but for how long and at what expense to the consumer? And from soirees adorned, with martinis to the trendiest 2024 Chinese New Year battle garb, how has ma mianxun or the horse face skirt emerged as the ultimate fashion choice for the ladies this season? Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. And if you would like to get in contact with us or send us a question that you can't find answers to, please send your voice memo to Roundtable at foxmail.com. And it would be really great if you could include your name and region of residence so that we know a little bit more about you as we attempt to answer your question. Now on Roundtable, as we move on to the next topic of discussion. It's become almost second nature for us to venture out equipped with at least one digital device, typically our smartphones, often accompanied by Bluetooth earphones, iPads, and the like. With this reliance on gadgets comes the inevitable need for a power source to keep them juiced up, leading to the widespread adoption of power banks that can charge our devices on the go. To alleviate the burden of carrying around one's own power bank, the shared power bank industry stumbled along, not exactly taking off like wildfire right out of the gate. Fast forward. Nearly a decade since the inception of shared power banks, and consumers are now voicing concerns about escalating costs. So, how big is the price hike in the world of shared power banks we're seeing today? Well, first of all, I'll just give some of the background information about these shared power banks in China. So, it's everywhere and um, it's typically stationed in locations around city like malls restaurants and even on the streets um, it looks like a box uh, typically there will be six to twelve power banks uh, housed in this box and what you need to do is just scan the qr code and then you get a power bank out of it and then after you uh, you've done charging your mobile devices and you can return it once they're done. So this whole shared power bank thing is a game changer in modern Chinese society. I think many Chinese people, they are relying on these small devices and it's a pay per use service. So after the use of uh the shared power bank, you have to pay the money. And many people have found that the hourly price has increased and uh, pricing varies in different places, even for the same providers. For example, uh, in the past, you had to pay like one yuan for an hour usage of the power bank. But nowadays, according to media reports, the current standard price is around three to four yuan per hour. And um, in some popular or touristy locations with a high demand of charging, then it's, it costs 6 to 10 yuan per hour. And also sometimes it offers the 24-hour charging and the fee varies from 30 to 60 yuan. So that's around 4 to 8 
dollars, and the maximum price is mostly capped at ninety nine yuan. So that's uh, thirteen dollars, and um, uh, in a way, the shared power banks they offer great convenience for consumers, but it has also evoked complaints among users uh, in terms of the higher pricing model. For example, on the consumer complaint website, you'll find the number of complaints about shared power banks is a lot more, twice that of shared bikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Josh. Um, how do you view this business model and also just the existence of having shared power banks? And this is a legit business that's been going on for more than ten years here in China. Do you see this happening in your own country?、Um, you know, some thoughts here.、Uh, well, to answer your first question, as a business model, I think that it probably isn't that sustainable. I think that one of the main reasons for that is that mobile phone batteries are getting better and better to the point where. You can probably charge your phone up in the evening, and you can be out all day at this point. <laughs> I think most phones by this point allow you to be out most of the day, unless, of course, you're really using using it for,、um, and you're exhausting the battery with something. I myself have, I won't say which model, but I have a quite a common phone, and I have one of the newer models, and I never need a power bank anymore. I remember when I first came to China six years ago, and for those first two or three years. With the older model of the phone that I have now,、um, and they bring out a lot,、uh, it was I was always using power banks all the time. I think I would be out for maybe three or four hours, and I would have to use one. So, I think that the future of this industry、um, sadly looks a little bit bleak, simply because the quality of batteries are getting so good. So that's my initial observation of this. I think that's the biggest factor for me. I know there are a lot of other factors as well. To answer your question about my own country in the UK, actually, this is quite a new phenomenon. It's it's a bit of a phenomenon for, I think, British people when they first come to China,、um, because we just don't have them in the UK. We do not have these portable power bank stations, and if you need to charge your phone, it'll be quite common. I remember when I went back quite recently, and my phone was dying at this point,、um, older model, and <laughs> I had to go up to. Somebody that was working in the bar, my friend said, "Oh, just go ask the barman if you can charge your phone." And I was like, "Really?" So for this whole bar, they have maybe one or two chargers.、Um, and I think maybe the reason for this is that, again, similar to our first discussion, it's about digital payment infrastructure and the lack of it and stuff like this in the、mm-hmm. UK. So as well as use, people using cash a lot, you know, the consequence of that is that you also can't have things like this. China, obviously. Very developed in this、uh, area. Yeah, when this thing first came about a few years ago, I remember、um, people saying that, "Oh, finally, there's a cure to my <laughs> battery anxiety," which refers to the fear or worry that one smartphone battery will run out of power before they have access to a charger or power source. And I don't know if you're like me when the uh, battery uh, bar. Uh, notice goes sort of like below maybe seventy percent. I'm already <laughs> already anxious. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> and when it's like fifty percent, it's like getting close to panic <laughs> state. And anything less than that, and、uh, I, I kind of need to to charge my phone. I know this is maybe a little. Is this extreme? Okay, for, okay. You're obviously not like me, Singu. I am obviously not anxious about my、uh, power. 
I think, like Josh,、uh, I would usually charge the phone during the night before, and then I, I don't actually need to charge again during the day.、Mm-hmm. So when I'm out、uh, meeting friends or having dinner with with others,、um, it's enough. I, I don't need to use the shared power banks for my phone. But、um, you know, during the cold winter days. Sometimes the power runs out more quickly than、okay. usual. Yeah.、Okay. So in that case,、uh, probably you'll need、uh, a power bank, and、um, that's how convenient you can get in some of these、uh, stores or or shopping malls in China. Yeah, and that's、um, why I just never thought this business could be a robust one. Because、um, for Some of my friends I know they bring their own power bank、mm. just so that they know that they're always in a safe state when it comes to battery anxiety.、Yeah. They'll be all right. And also, if you know that you're, let's say, traveling or you're going to be using your phone or your digital devices a lot this day, this is not just a regular day. Then you probably go prepared or just bring your extension. Cords. If you have to work on your、um, laptop for a long period of time outside、mm. of your home or whatnot, but anyway, I suppose people might not be as well planned. Not not everybody is, and also people sometimes just want to, you know, if they have this convenience and if it's not too expensive, then why not utilize the service? So, what are the shortcomings of this business that users are complaining about these days?、Mm. So, we just mentioned the、uh, rising fee of renting these power banks, and also、um, many users also complain that renting these、uh, shared power banks is easy, but returning sometimes is really difficult,、um, especially. Nowadays, we use the smartphone apps or WeChat mini programs to locate these nearby charging station after use, and sometimes、um, people spend quite a long time looking for the right spot to return the power bank, and some cannot find one. And others,、uh, when you find one, but there are no available slots for these、uh, returns.、Ah. And some also complain that、uh, the recommended return locations don't. Even exist、oh. at all after the business closed. So、um, these are some of the concerns that users have or experienced、uh, when it comes to returning these devices. Right, and also just a quick question about usage, about this、um, process or this routine. So when you are trying to activate this rental power bank,、mm-hmm. don't you need to pay a deposit? If not a deposit, you know, just an amount of money upfront. Using your digital payment methods, or with these established digital payment apps, you have sort of like a digital credit score, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. can help you to、uh, activate the device. I、right? think, as far as I know, we don't need to pay the deposit anymore nowadays.、Mm. I think. Interesting. So that's another、um, revenue stream gone for this business. Because back in the day,、mm. when I first started using it, I had、yeah. to pay about like one hundred yuan、yeah. or, or maybe two hundred yuan.、Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, with every step of transaction among these apps, these platforms, they're making money out of it.、Mm. So yeah. So I think it, this also points to some of the changes in. 
the way we use these devices and um, and these businesses are struggling a bit, apparently. Not all of them are making money, obviously. And one of the explanations to why there is this uh, price hike in usage of shared power banks is actually some of these businesses are really struggling and therefore they need to up the price so they have money coming in. Um, so what exactly is going on? How do you see as sort of the um, financial health of this business or industry at the moment? Well, as I said before, I think that it's probably finite. I think that it won't last that long. And I think another reason also is that wireless charging or the development of wireless charging technology is also coming on leaps and bounds. I mean, at this point, there are already areas where you can just place your phone down and it will charge, right? But I think that we're looking at soon probably where uh, wireless charging that is going to be really omnipresent in public spaces like bars and restaurants where you can probably just put your phone down on the table on a certain square or something like this and it'll start to charge your phone, whatever model that it is. Mm -hmm. We already have this technology actually. So whether that's going to be a free service or not is another question. But I imagine that these portable power banks and things like this. Um, even now when I see them, I'm so sorry to say it, but they don't look particularly nice either, do they? I, I think um, when they're sort of stood awkwardly at the front of a beautiful restaurant or, you know, there's maybe <laughs> two or three different brands of them. Sometimes they have, right, of different brands of power banks. Just out of curiosity, yeah, my friend, what does it take for the power bank station to scream inviting to you, Josh Cotterup? <laughs> Does it have to dance and have like glowing lights and maybe... I think it has to disappear. <laughs> I, I, but the, be, and the reason I say that though, uh, seriously though, I think it has to disappear because that's now what we expect. I mean, um, you guys must have wirelessly charged your phone at some point over the last few years, right? Mm -hmm. It's becoming more and more common and wires are really it is a very old technology wired technology is very old it's been around for over a hundred years mm -hmm. and we're still using this and it is quite awkward it it anchors you to that physical spot right and i know a wireless charging bank you are able to move around with it mm -hmm. but still at some point you've got to go back right and and put the wireless charging bank back in the machine mm. so i think that wireless charging um, really is the future. And because of that, and because I'm sort of used to that, I have, I, I really like wireless charging. I use it quite a lot. So because of that, I guess in my mind, I'm over it. Uh, but maybe, maybe, do, do you like them? Do you find them to be pleasant to look at? Well, do you like them? <laughs> do I have a choice? Sure. Of course you do. Right? <laughs> but right now, um, these shared power banks, they are kind of, they're prevalent in today's Chinese cities. Um, I don't know, probably these business operators, they might adopt these wireless technologies in the future. Um, but if I go back to the question that Heyang just asked, I think it's quite a strategy uh, of attracting these users with let's say, low prices at the beginning and then uh, to establish a solid user base and then they raise the price mm -hmm. so that they can make more profits. And also, in most of the cases, when people feel emergent, they feel this 
uh, battery anxiety and they need to get their phone charged, they don't actually mind spending one or two more yuan on this uh, shared power bank. So I think that's also the psychological uh, factor behind the consumer's uh, side. And also, uh, there is a dynamic pricing system that we previously talked about. Actually, it's playing a role in this uh, business as well. Uh, let's say in busy touristy areas, it, it costs more because, you know, the higher demand, the higher price. Hmm. But also there is a limit to what people are willing to pay Definitely. for. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe in the short run or even midterms, then Xingyu, what you say it holds but in the long run let's see if what josh said will pan out <laughs> and also xingyu the business model or the model to charge money you mentioned earlier i think that's pretty classic silicon valley model that is you know giving out subsidies and usually that's you know investors money and just to acquire as big a market size as possible as quickly as possible and then start charging people uh once you acquire the market size mm -hmm. and we've seen that happen repeatedly but can this business at the end of the day turn a profit that is really important and that will determine whether this business will go on or not. Coming up, with sales soaring beyond 300 million yuan amid a plethora of traditional Chinese attire options, why has ma mianqun or the horse face skirt galloped into the fashion spotlight? Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Xingyu in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Ladies sashay through shopping malls in it. Kids look adorable in it visiting relatives. And the older generation flaunts it with elegance, taking a stroll in the park. It's none other than the horse face skirt, or ma mianqun in Chinese, with sales exceeding 300 million yuan, or 42 million US dollars over the Chinese New Year period, amidst a myriad of hanfu styles, Ma Mianqun, or the horse face skirt, is the unrivaled belle of the ball this season. So describe to us, Xingyu, what does the Ma Mianqun look like? Mm -hmm. So Ma Mianqun is one of the major styles of Hanfu in China. Hanfu means the traditional outfit by ethnic Han people in ancient China. Um, and this uh, Ma Mianqun is the ancient Chinese style long skirt that often covers your ankles and feet. So it originated in the Song Dynasty, so that's around a thousand years ago. And it was initially designed for the convenience of donkey riding for women, you know. Um, so they have this openings at both the back and the front so they can easily ride the donkey. And it grew popular during the later Ming and the Qing Dynasties uh, from the 14th to the 20th century due to its functionality and aesthetic style. And it is typically composed 
composed of two overlapping panel of fabrics wrapping around the lower body and is characterized by a quite a few neatly arranged pleats on the sides and with smooth cloth at the front and back. And it features ornaments and different patterns printed on the fabrics. So in terms of the name, there are actually uh, quite a few theories. And one of the theories is that Ma Mian in Chinese, uh, in ancient China, referred to a fortified tower. It was a defensive structure and the front of the skirt really resembles the city wall of this defensive tower uh, with stairs on either side of the tower uh, just like the pleats so that's one of the theories saying that that's how Ma Mianqin got its name and it's not just for the new year celebrations I think over the past few years uh, many young Chinese women they would uh, wear Ma Mianqun when they travel and also you know it's a long skirt so beneath the skirt you can wear a lot so <laughs> you don't have to fear for cold when you visit places like Harbin and it's also a quite good outfit for weddings and probably even graduation ceremonies right mm. Josh I really don't know what to ask you but one thing you know on this show that I'm sure you would agree with that is your knowledge in the fashion world especially female fashion, and sometimes male's fashion too, has been broadened to quite some extent. <laughs> Josh, um, you've checked out this um, garment uh, before the show, and uh, mm. tell me, you know, your, your, your thoughts about its popularity. Yeah, you already sound um, apprehensive to even ask me about this um, for <laughs> some reason. It's not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, it's like the opposite of mansplaining or something, um, or you know. Uh, so, I think this garment actually, for me, when I see it, it looks very luxurious. And from reading about it, I've also read that it is quite a luxury item, right? It's not something that you would sort of wear every day, or traditionally that would be worn every day by anyone, right? And so, I think that even when I see it today, it does seem like a symbol of luxury and I, I guess to some degree that probably may be reflected in China's economic growth I guess at least it becoming more common for people to be for it to seem okay for them to wear something like this and I know that some luxury brands some western luxury brands have also come out with garments that look quite similar to this right mm -hmm. um, and so I think that this um, Ma Mianquan is quite reflective of that to some degree mm. so it, yeah I, I mean I I quite like the the look of this guy, actually. It's it's pretty interesting. I mean, some of the things uh, you, you send me before the show and the few times that we've spoken about fashion, I look at them and I I really don't see the difference between that and, say, s something else. Um, I'm not really sure why it's special. <laughs> but this this particular shape is quite interesting, isn't it? It's, it is quite different. Well, is it the uh, pleats I, I make it different? Well, it's quite rigid, right? It, it's, it's not. Some of the styles of this skirt are, are quite rigid and straight, um, oh, I almost see corrugated, right? Uh, um, it doesn't look practical. It doesn't look <laughs> like a practical garment. Really? So, I thought it's really practical for, for one reason, uh, so you mm -hmm. mentioned, because you can wear anything underneath. You could be wearing like thick leggings or even jeans and they're and it doesn't show even if you've put on a few pounds doesn't show 
So that's yeah, but think think about the situation where you have to go to the toilets, and this gigantic oh, it's skirt. a huge skirt. Yeah, huge skirt. It's like almost like a wedding dress when you you know it's quite heavy and um, mm. yeah, it can be not that I convenient. See what you mean. Yeah. So then you'll have to use a Western, a toilet bowl instead of the uh, Chinese uh, squatter <laughs> option. You know, oh that. Yeah. Oh, that is so interesting.、Mm. But also, we see there are a lot of modern、uh, renditions of、yeah. it, and therefore the material could be lighter.、Yeah. And but I agree with Josh that all of them have these really luxurious patterns, and sometimes it's shockingly affordable. But maybe that's just you know. A well done to the textile industry in China. Yeah, and also you know during the Chinese New Year holiday, the Caoxian County in Shandong Province in eastern part of China, you know it's Caoxian is known as China's、uh, handful manufacturing base.、Um, it has launched this、uh, special. Design of this ma mian chun with the patterns of dragon and phoenix printed、Ooh. on the fabric, so that's hugely popular among these Chinese female consumers. So, so I think、um, that's how the design or these patterns have also evolved over the past years. Right,、mm-hmm. and the Chinese dragon and the phoenix, you know, rising from the ashes. That's <laughs> a very auspicious、mm. symbol or two symbols. In our Chinese culture,、um, I have to admit, though. Also, I'm not someone who's an、uh, expert in traditional Chinese attire. Just to you know, as a disclaimer here, but I was only made aware of the ma mianqun or the horse face skirt in 2022 when a designer house. Culturally appropriated、uh, the ma mianqun and didn't give the credit to its origin as perceived by the Chinese people, and it created、uh, controversy back then. But could you explain how come it's this design that has entered the fashion spotlight this season and not? You know, so many other options out there of the traditional Chinese attire of hanfu.、Mm-hmm. I think one of the reasons is that、um, nowadays ma mianqun has really combined these classical and also modern simplicity into the design, and it somehow caters to、uh, the mainstream fashion demands of today's Chinese youth. And also, another thing is that、uh, social media and also influencers have really made some impact on the decisions of the purchases. For instance, many celebrities they're increasingly Uh, found wearing the ma mianqun in their daily life and also TV shows or advertisements, so that sparked、uh, heated discussions among netizens. And when you always consume these content, you would naturally think that's trending,、mm-hmm. and so that somehow also got popular among Chinese young people. I think.、Hmm. Well, as more people embrace the modern interpretations of the ma mianqun and other Hanfu styles—they're not just following a fashion trend; they're also bridging tradition with personal expression. The resurgence of interest in garments like this signals a desire to connect to our cultural roots. 
I think this is another example of the power of fashion to mirror our individuality and our ever-evolving identities in today's fast-changing world. And that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much, Xingyu and Josh, for joining the discussion. And thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts at Roundtable China. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time. 